Well, today's gospel lesson for the fifth Sunday after Pentecost comes from Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 43. This is a bit of a lengthy one, so, you know, if you need to get up and get your coffee refilled as you're, as you're listening, that's certainly okay. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered round him, and he was by the lake. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue named Jairus came, and when he saw him, fell at his feet and begged him repeatedly, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be made well and live. So he went with him. And a large crowd followed him and pressed in on him. Now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. She had endured much under many physicians and had spent all that she had, and she was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak, for she said, if I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. Immediately her hemorrhage stopped, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Immediately aware that power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? His disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing in on you. How can you say who touched me? He looked all around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing all that had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him, and told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, some of the people came from the leader's house to say, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the leader of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. He allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house of the leader of the synagogue, he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. When he entered, he said to them, Why do you make a commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Then he put them all outside took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. Immediately, the girl got up and began to walk about. She was 12 years of age. As this, at this, they were overcome with amazement. He strictly ordered them that no one should know of this and told them to give her something to eat. The Gospel of the Lord. Well, people of God, may the grace and peace of our triune God be yours today and forever. Amen. Back in 1997, I was 18 years old, and in one of the very few instances in my history, I was actually involved in a team sport. Ordinarily, not much of a sports guy. That's okay. That's just who I am. But that summer, I joined with my older brother and quite a few of his friends, and together we had a team in a community recreational softball league. Slow pitch. That's important to remember. Now, this was all intended just for recreation. It was intended to be fun. And every team that was in that league, we all had that same opinion. No one was really super competitive. We didn't really care what our final scores were. We didn't really care what our, our final record was. We were just there to have fun on Friday nights. Now, I mentioned I'm not overly sports oriented. I'm not overly athletic. But I was there to have fun. But one night, one game, Somehow, the universe aligned perfectly, and the pitch came in, and somehow I hit it just right, 
and I hit my one and only home run. It was wonderful. Everyone was excited, both teams. None of us cared that I had just scored. Well, we all cared that I had just scored a home run, but everyone was excited about it. I was getting high fives from my team and from, from the other team. It was great. In the end, the only thing that really mattered, though, was that slightly competitive side of me that reveled in the fact that I had hit a home run before my brother did. But you know what? That was short-lived because a game or two later, he hit one too, so no big deal. Now I wanna fast forward to just this past Tuesday evening. And my now 17-year-old son, who is very sports-oriented, and his favorite sport is baseball. He has been playing baseball since he was four years old and began t-ball. Years and years and years of practice and development and work and all kinds of stuff led to this moment when the stars aligned for him and my son smacked his first ever home run. Now what was really cool was about two minutes after that happened, this little guy had come running around and he was carrying the baseball, the actual ball that my son had hit the home run with. And as he came running by, one of the other spectators, one of the other parents that was sitting down there said to him, hey, give that ball to, to his dad. So, so I had the ball. And I was so proud of my kid, so proud of it. I snapped a picture with my phone and I posted it everywhere. I posted it on Facebook. I posted it on Twitter. I posted it on Instagram. I would have posted it on LinkedIn if I would have thought about it. I was so proud and I was sharing this news. I was speaking for my son. I was, you might even call it advocating for my son. And it was wonderful because a lot of people chimed in, all kinds of likes, lots and lots of comments congratulating him. It was this great, great moment and I loved it. It was wonderful. Now, this idea of me speaking for my son because I was advocating for him, if you want to say that. That is where I'm going to begin to connect into our story for today. To back up just a little bit, if you caught last week, we had heard that Jesus had gotten in the boat with the disciples, and they had left the area of Capernaum, what we might say the Israel side or the Jewish side of the Sea of Galilee, and they were going out across the water off to the other side. Now, some things happen while they're over there, but our scripture lesson today, we hear that they have come back across, or they're actually coming back across. And they come back to the seashore, this Jewish side, and they're very near what we assume to be Capernaum, which is a big, bustling city that's kind of right there and where Jesus is often very active, especially here in Mark's gospel. We've heard about a lot of experiences that he's had there. We know these attracting crowds, and these crowds come around because word has spread about him about the amazing way he teaches and preaches and proclaims that the kingdom of heaven has come near, the way he embodies that, the way that he speaks about it, and more importantly, and perhaps more applicably in this situation, the way that he embodies it with the miracles that he performs, specifically the healings. So these great, great crowds gather around him. Word has spread, and you can bet in this important and bustling community of Capernaum, that they know what's going on. And as Jesus arrives on the seashore, it seems like he's no more than stepped out of the boat and the people are beginning to gather already. As they gather, we have an individual who is there to advocate for his kid, for his daughter. And it's this man named Jairus, who we hear is the leader of the synagogue. Now, a little bit of background, and this is important to consider. Again, Capernaum, a large, important community there on the seashore. 
very, very active, and there's actually very, very affluent, and because of that, the synagogue would have been a big deal. Now, the synagogue in every Jewish community is important. It's sort of the center of their community life, both from a communal standpoint as well as a religious standpoint. And because of that, and because of this particular community, Jairus is an important guy. There's some things that we can infer about him. We can infer that he's probably socially very important, He's probably a person of great wealth, great means. He's probably educated, and because of his position, he is very, very knowledgeable about the rules, about everything that seems to apply from a law standpoint, from a social standpoint, all of the above. This is a guy who's important. Now, if we think about this, this whole idea, if we think about all of this, he's trying to get to Jesus, so people probably kind of get out of his way. Again, he's important. And he humbles himself before Jesus. He kneels at his feet and he begs him, Master, my little daughter is sick. Come and heal her so that she may be made well, that she may live. Jesus comes with him. Now, Jairus has probably, in humbling himself before Jesus and even addressing Jesus and asking Jesus for help, he's probably digging himself into a, a bit of a quandary. But do you think he cares? Doesn't seem to. He is here to advocate for his daughter. He will do whatever it takes for his daughter to be healed. Now, Jesus responds to it. Jesus immediately goes with them. And as they're going through from the seashore into the community, heading towards this man's house, we hear the crowd continues to press in among them. And in that instance, we have this other character who steps in, this woman. We don't know much about her. We don't know her name. All we know about her is that she has been defined by this long, long illness in which she has a hemorrhage, that she bleeds. We don't know the nature of the condition. We don't know her family situation. We don't know much of anything other than this disease has been ongoing, that she has spent all of her resources trying to overcome it and that nothing has worked. And she has suffered and suffered and suffered and suffered. Now, there are some other things that we, we can know from this. In that society, in that time, there were a lot of restrictions on what she should be able to do, both because of her own social standing as well as this disease that is affecting her. She would be considered unclean, and that anyone she touches is also made unclean simply out of contact for her. She is supposed to announce herself as unclean so that people can avoid her. But throughout all of this, this woman who seemingly has no one to advocate for her, no one to advocate on her behalf, and she seems to be at the end of her wits. She does the one thing that she can think to do. She says, I'm going to just go touch his cloak because of what she has heard about him. She, she believes that's all it's going to take. If I touch his cloak, I will be healed. And so she's pressing through the crowd. She's probably kind of got herself covered up a little bit so no one can see who she is and keep her away. But she presses through. She touches the edge of Jesus' cloak. She's immediately healed. Now, this is interesting because this grabs Jesus' attention as he feels power go out of him. This is one of the very, very few times when a miracle happens and Jesus is passive within it. Almost all the time, Jesus is active. Jesus takes action to perform the miracle, to perform the healing, to perform the exorcism, whatever. Jesus is active within it. But this time, the divine power that resides within him passively flows out of him to heal this woman. Now, he picks up on it. 
And whether he actually knows what's going on or not, he looks around and he says, power went out of me, who touched me? And the disciples that are with him, they can't figure it out. They're like, Lord, look at the crowd that, that's, that's pressing in on you. How can you ask that? Everyone's touching you. We don't know who touched you. The woman, she could have been free. She could have just slipped away in the crowd, now healed. She could have gone through the, the proper cleanliness steps to go and present herself to a priest and be named clean and rejoin society without hindrance in that way. But she's had this experience. God has taken action on her behalf, whether it was passive or not. She's had this moment. Everything is different for her, and she knows she has to share the truth. So she comes and she presents herself before Jesus at great risk because she has crossed so many social boundaries things could go very badly for her, and she confesses what happens. She says, Lord, it was me. Now, I love this moment. Jesus looks at her, and, and he doesn't condemn her. He doesn't call her out. He says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Now, in this instant, we see both sides of the coin. We see Jairus, who has advocated for his daughter to be made well. He's seeking healing for his daughter to, that she might be made well and live. And then we have this woman who has no one to advocate for her, but she goes and she receives the miracle. Now think about Jairus for a moment, because in this instance, as Jesus' attention is over here on the woman, the, his servants show up and basically tell him, hey, your daughter died, don't trouble him. And I can only imagine what's going on in his head in that moment. He's got to be thinking, Jesus, if you'd have ignored that woman, we would have gotten to my house in time and you could have saved my daughter. But Jesus gives us an important illustration here. Jesus shows us that being made well does not simply mean to be physically healed. That sometimes being made well involves death. And that's what we see with, the, the, with Jairus' daughter, with this young girl. They go to his house, he says, have, have faith, believe, don't be afraid. And he throws everyone out because they're all mourning and wailing and then laughing at him when he, he says he's going to do something about it. And in one of only three examples that we have in the scriptures, Jesus resurrects a person. Jesus takes her by the hand, he speaks to her, and he tells her to get up and raises her up back to life. He says, she's alive, give her something to eat, she's alive again. Now, in this, I think we have two different important lessons to learn. One, we learn that the mercy and the power, the joy, the favor of God is not limited. There is no limit to it. And just because this person receives it doesn't mean there's less for God to offer to the next person. If that were the case, the woman would have stolen the healing from Jairus' daughter. But we see in the story, both are healed. That healing just looks different. Second is what I believe lies behind this. The reason that Jesus takes action in the first place, and we find that when we hear how he addresses the woman, daughter. Jesus looks at this person. He does not see the rules that dictate who she is, what she is, what she can do, what she's worthy of, what she's not. He doesn't see the restrictions that she might place upon herself. He doesn't see the identity that's external that everyone puts upon her. He sees her as God sees her because he is God. 
Jesus, God made divine, God the divine made flesh, God in human form, looks upon her, calls her daughter. He advocates for her simply out of her identity as one who is claimed by God. Now that's important for us to remember because we share in that same identity. But at times, I wonder if we fall in the same trap that I believe Jairus probably fell into as well, of feeling like they got the miracle, where's mine? What we are reminded of in this moment is what it truly means to be made well. What does that mean? This is something that I think is very applicable for our community. We have a, a member, a, a member, a beloved member of our congregation who's currently in the hospital fighting for her life in a lot of ways. And we all are holding on to hope that her medical treatments will work, that she will be healed, physically healed, of two different very, very drastic, dire ailments that she is experiencing right now. We pray that being made well will mean being physically made well. But it might not. And this is a reality that we all face because in life, we all eventually die. But what Jesus embodies for us today through the healing of Jairus' daughter, who was dead, we remember that sometimes being made well lies on the other side of death. It lies in the fulfillment of God's promises through the gospel that you have been claimed by God and that claim, beloved child, is one that nothing overcomes, not even death. And that being made well might just mean the fulfillment of those gospel promises for us in the life to come. When we meet Jesus in heaven, when we join with Jesus in a resurrection like his, and that death is finally overcome. Jesus embodies that for us today, both physical healing of the woman as well as resurrection healing for Jairus' daughter. May we hold on to that. May we find hope in that, in knowing that those same promises are for us and they are also for those that we care about and that ultimately being made well will be fulfilled to the ultimate in this life or the next.